3: this is blue moon it's the original fan-made manchester city podcast coming up we've got news and views from city's week it's your club and this is your show
4: well, if you're a millennial like me, then you'll have grown up surrounded by United fans telling you that your football team was rubbish and theirs was the best, all because they were Manchester United, and that's why they were better than everyone else. Well, on Sunday, Eric Ten Hag became the sixth United manager in a row to lose their first Manchester derby, and the gulf in performance between the two teams has probably never been bigger, even when the roles were reversed. At least City had the good grace to be facing relegation when they stank the place out against United, and even then, the performance was never as atrociously bad as the away side last weekend. Anyway, the latest win in the derby is for all the City fans of a certain age that had to go to school the Monday after being battered at Old Trafford again, or latterly struggling against Northampton, Wickham or Lincoln. The scoreline flattered United in the end, but don't let 6-3 fool you. Anyone with eyes could see just how much of a lesson was handed out. Welcome to today's Blue Moon Podcast, where we're going to discuss further the destructive form of Erling Haaland, the genius of Pep Guardiola and the burntness of Phil Foden. We'll also take a look ahead to the matches with Southampton and the return and Champions League fixture against FC Copenhagen so let's kick off I'm David Mooney with me this week is City fan Kieran Murray Hi David and who better to help us review a Manchester derby win than a Manchester derby winner himself? It's former City defender Nader Manua.
5: That's fantastic to hear. I love that. I love that intro. Thank you so much, David.
4: <laughs> I yeah, uh, yeah, I had to do it. I mean, like you're you're the closest that I'm ever gonna get to feeling what it's like to be on the pitch as a City fan when uh, when United <laughs> yeah. have been beaten. So, I mean, let's start there. What's it like, mate?
5: Yeah, it's 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 amazing, and I think. You know, the difference between, say, my sort of generation, which isn't like 30, 40 years ago, by the way, versus this current generation, is that as they walk off the field, they almost expect it. Whereas for us back in the day, it's like, you know, we'll try really, 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 really hard and hope that something positive happens. And to think like with the did the double over them in, I think in the 8-9 season, that was incredible. Winning at Old Trafford, incredible. Whereas now, you know, I'm sure most people would agree. Upon watching that game on the weekend, beforehand, you might have had a slight bit of doubt. But within 10, 15 minutes, you're thinking, wow, we literally are playing a completely different game to this team that basically dominated football for 15 years.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kieran, the, I don't know about you, but I, I texted my partner on about, it must have been about three minutes into the game uh, when, uh, like, I, I think City had had three cleared off the line by yeah. that stage. And I was just like, yeah, we're, we're going to win this today.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you should say that because the uh, the pessimism was with me. I was like, oh, is it going to be one of those days where they get one on the break and everything we do just gets cleared off the line or bounces off a players' legs and out. Um, so I was actually nervous, you know, because i just... Can't shake the RB Day nerves until we're settled into it a little bit. Until it's four because, or five. Yes, exactly. Uh, and because it was just so chaotic to begin with, I was like, "Oh, please tell me it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a day where these are turned in." And then, I mean, what was to unfold? Nobody could really have predicted.
4: Like, it certainly eased the nerves. Yeah, Nader, am I am I right to feel a little bit disappointed that it finished six three because like it, like. It could, it could i know the song goes it could have been 10 but it it could have been 10 couldn't
5: it yeah it it definitely could have been 10 and like i know where you're coming from because you really want to just destroy them but it's still just 3 points at the end of the day you know what i mean the game was done city have destroyed man united and they leave with 3 points whether they scored 6 or scored 16 so you could say maybe you know you'd like to see them really really finished off but I think there were benefits that came at the end of that game in terms of other people getting game time, Laporte getting a chance to play a little bit and seeing one or two other people get the opportunity. So, you know, that's the reality of it. They still wanted to do well. And obviously the situation and the setup was different. But I think if you want to be really fair, I think just focus on the first half because that was one of the best 45 minutes worth of football, the thing I've seen before. Because I was, you know, one of those scarred City fans who think, well, United have won four in a row. You've seen them beat City at the Etihad. Maybe they'll come with something, this, that and the other. And then City, like United, didn't play well, but City made them look awful. Yeah, you know there are other sides that would have seen seemed okay, but they looked awful. They had no answers to all the questions City were asking. And yeah, it's a shame, but it's kind of the other side of the coin. You know, as sad as it is, it was like do you know, sometimes there's like a bit of reality in jest. And some United fans are like, "Ha ha, you thought you were going to get the six-one? Like that's really sad." And then it's like, <laughs> "Ha, we, uh, we we won the second half. <laughs> like you did." But the fact you're saying that suggests that you as a football club are nowhere where you used to be. And you're actually in a very, very desperate place if you think that winning a second half 3-2 against a side which had changed and the momentum had gone. Like, those are desperate times. Because, if listen, for me, if City needed to score 10 goals to win a league that game, we would have scored 12. So let's not really kid ourselves and say United outplayed City in that second half at all.
4: Yeah, I mean the, the the other thing of all of this, Karen, as Naden was speaking, then uh, I've got to be honest. I remember saying that as a as a kid. Do you know what I mean? And it, like, it, it feels it, 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 you look back at it and you think, God, I, like, thank God, I like, thank God, I didn't genuinely believe it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, you used to clutch at any straws back in the day, <laughs> didn't you?
0: Just anything that was available there to hold on. So it was just it was just amazing. Like I still remember the um, the League Cup semi final. You know where we beat United, the Tevez. Sort of one, like for some reason I hold that up in the highest team, even though we lost in the second leg because, you know, there was just so little to hold on to back then. Um, so to to absolutely demolish them to the point where they're cheering sincerely and earnestly um, winning the second half or scoring those two goals. I mean, City fans around
4: me were were mocking their cheers, ironically, I, I because I just remembered there was a bit that there was a bit where the city fans were O-laying United's yeah. passes. <laughs>
0: how, how the mighty have fallen! It's just it's unbelievable. And I mean that intro that Native complimented that you said it was just so good. You know this one's for everybody who went to school on the Monday. And like I was just surrounded by United fans in school and in my family. And like I remember turning off my phone at the end of the the Michael Owen Derby. And handing it to my sister in the pub because I knew it was just going to be inundated with my cousins, with my mates in school and uni, and um, you know, all just trying to trying to destroy me. And you know, and and would you believe those texts and phone calls are quite quiet after Derby days these days?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nadeem, let, let's get into the football then. So, I mean, just from your point of view, why were City so far ahead of United? I mean, I know it's fun to talk about like just how much City did pick United apart. Um, yeah. what, what was the difference between the two sides?
5: Um, pff, you know, the, the easy and quick answer is everything. But to put it more specifically... City have a greater belief in their own system, they have a greater belief in each other. They're technically, I think, overall better players. Mentally, I think they're in a better place and they're better from that standpoint. And they're more ruthless. I think United on any particular day could maybe get a result. But for City, like they get performances and results. Yeah. And the way that they played, you know, before the game, there's you're hearing on the time, oh Rodri's out, Rodri's out. And like Rodri's a key player. It's like, oh, Gundogan's back there. And but I was thinking, we just saw seven days earlier, Gundogan was playing that position for Germany. Like, he's he's not a bad player. He's all right, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And (laughs) And then Ruben Diaz is on the bench. He's like, oh. And I'm thinking, well, it's Pep that's picked the team. And the guy that's playing instead of him, one of them's a Swiss international, the other one's a Dutch international. Like, this isn't one of those teams whereby you can essentially live or die by any particular individual. Like, you might lose something, but you don't lose everything. And I think in the way that they played, it was just a slightly different take on what City are they were magnificent. The mentality in terms of moving the ball, the change of speed when they needed to have it. You know, the big fella going and just causing havoc against those centre-backs and the the service, the delivery, like, it, it was, in that first half, it was nearly perfect. Obviously, United kind of played into it because, you know, there's this, Within football, there's this sort of myth that, you know, you've got people there, so everything's under control. It's not true because they're being passive. And I think for some of those goals, you can see red shirts, but they're not actually doing anything. I think if you want to go and try and play against better teams, you kind of have to get into their faces in key areas. And they didn't do that. And I think that's the sort of sense that's different because for City, every time United in that first half specifically, we're trying to catch City on the break. Somebody was chasing back, chopping someone down, you know, and actually affecting the game. So I think it's more so a game understanding, a level of confidence, the level of belief, and level of understanding around each other in terms of what they need to do, because these players now, you know, it's a, obviously it's a metaphor, but they could play blindfold because they know exactly where someone's going to be, they know exactly what someone's going to do, and that's why when they play and they're fluid like this, it's, it's as good as football as you've probably seen in your entire life.
4: Yeah, um, let's let's talk hat tricks, Kieran. Um, I mean, we'll we'll come to as nadem called him the big fella shortly, um, <laughs> but uh, let's start with Phil Foden because um, I mean it's his first hat trick for the club, um, first senior hat trick against. The team that you would have hated growing up. It's like I you can't write it any better, can you?
0: No, you can't. It is of the Rover stuff, isn't it? Um that I'll never ever get tired of seeing that um that big red Stockford Stockport face kind of like bursting its cheeks when he's about to shoot. <laughs> uh, um, but every he had everything on uh Sunday. He just the finishes were absolutely beautiful. The finesse in that first goal was just unreal. And then um His run for the second goal, just absolutely wonderful. And I just loved how City kind of went two up, kind of started toying with United a little bit and then went the three up as well. But when you look at it, they just, they started passing around the back between Ake and Akanji. And and United were kind of pushing up higher then because they thought, oh, we're nearer the goal. We'll have to move that way. And they just pulled United everywhere. So they became kind of a counter-attacking team. And Foden, when you look at that second goal, um. His second, I mean, the run, oh my God, from uh, from deep in his own half to get up and, know, and the understanding with uh, Haaland that's developing now as well. Um, absolutely incredible. And just to score a hat trick against United. Now, I, I hadn't been under the assumption that he must have scored a hat trick before, but um, what a day to do it. Two boyhood City fans scoring two hat tricks in a derby is just. You have to pinch yourself as a city fan these days. It's absolutely wonderful. I just, um, I just, it, it, I, I'm still on a high from Sunday, um, <laughs> and you know, even after the Copenhagen match last night, I focused on that match for a bit, and then my thought process went back to thinking about the derby again. It's just, uh, it's been class. It's so so good, and Foden, um, it's just great to see him kicking on with the season a little bit because you know, some would argue that he had a bit of a slow start.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, no, I mean, as the last few weeks, it's it's really started to kick off for for Foden, um, and it, it it's weird because it's almost at that stage where it doesn't really matter where he's playing as long as he is playing. If you know what I mean? Yeah,
5: yeah, that's exactly right because of the attributes that he has, and you know, I I think I prefer him in a sort of in the front three, but then in the same breath, he's such a good footballer, he can go deeper into midfield, get on the half turn, and be looking to play those penetrating passes. But for the speed that he has, because United left back, he's not slow. But Phil had the speed, had the desire, and had that little bit of strength as well. You know what I mean? Like, these mm. are things you love to see. He's stronger he's, than you think, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Listen, he's not stronger strong as me, but he's stronger than you think. <laughs> and I, and, and I, 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 I love all that. Like, for that, for everything that City have gone through over the years, there's still a lot of passion within that team about beating Man United. Even though they're not beating Man United, like, from back in the day, the company header that's going to separate the two sides and help them win a league, like, from that standpoint. At United are part of City's journey towards success, but this game still means something to them because they know it means something to the fans and they know the history. And as a consequence, like they're passionate. Even like this is so petty of me, but there's a point when there was a ball between I think it was uh, KDB and um, Anthony, and KDB just floored him, just headed it and floored <laughs> him in the first half. And I was like, there's no difference between that. And ten years earlier, where someone would have passionately done the same thing, yeah. Even though their ability level so high, the passion's still there, and yeah, I live for it, honestly.
0: That's not petty at all, Nam. That's just normal. No, we we love that here. We'd be
4: as petty as you want. Um, Let's talk about the big man because uh, we obviously have to focus on Erling Haaland again with his latest hat trick and his two goals against Copenhagen. Uh, So let's first get a word with our madman for stats, Duncan Alexander. I've been speaking to him about just how much City's new striker has rewritten the rule book.
1: For anyone who works in football data, which I obviously do, he's uh, you know man sent from heaven basically because pretty much every game some new record gets smashed. I mean there's an amazing thing where quite a lot of Premier League goal scoring records when a player starts his career are or were, I should say, held by Mick Quinn, um, who had a remarkably good late introduction uh with Coventry, um, back in the very early days of the Premier League. So it's always, you know, we look when players like Aguero came in Um, It was like, oh, you know, he's going to match Mick Quinn. Well, Alfie, not Alfie, sorry, (laughs) Erling Haaland has has destroyed those records. So, uh, yeah, outside the Quinn family, um, pretty much everyone's desperate to see see what he can do next. Yeah.
4: Has has anybody spoken to Mickey Quinn? Is he all right?
1: (laughs) I imagine he's fine. Yeah. I mean, I think he's more into horses, isn't he, these days? So, um, yeah. Probably yeah. for the best.
4: Uh, I mean, the, the, the place that I think to start is, um, I totaled this one up this week. Uh, after the Manchester derby, Erling Haaland now has 14 Premier League goals this season. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about trajectories shortly, uh, but that's the same number as the rest of the City team combined.
1: Yeah, and it's not like the City squad is a sort of parsimonious, you know, team that don't, they don't score much. They've got some, you know, goalscores all over the shop. They literally got another player, Phil Foden, who scored a hat-trick against United at the weekend. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's remarkable what he's doing and it's fun to extrapolate as I'm sure we're about to do. I mean, obviously the caveat is, you know, there have been other players that have started off like this, you know, now and again. It is very hard to maintain it over a long period, but... If he can, then we are looking at sort of a, a generational season.
4: Yeah, I mean that, that that's the thing. We you've tweeted about this as well, like the record for the most goals in a in in all competitions from a player in a Premier League team. So not not just Premier League goals, but a prem, It's a Premier League team, but not just Premier League goals. Um, it's forty four for the season. Mo Salah did it most
1: recently, but Rud Van
4: has done it as well. Um, do you think Haaland can 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 beat that?
1: Well, at his current rate, he's he's going to smash it. Um, so, yeah, as you say, Salah did it 2017-18, his first season at Liverpool. Van Nistelrooy kind of goes under the radar a little bit, I think, although I would say his introduction to United is possibly the the most similar, I think, in terms of a player coming in from a league that maybe people were like, not sure if, you know, obviously a good player, but will, will they cut it in the Premier League? So I think there's quite a lot of comparisons there. But, you know, as it stands, Harlan's on course to even challenge um, Dixie Deans, record of 63 obviously 60 famously in the league in 1927-28 he also got three in the FA Cup, the uh, the only other competition around in those days. Um, now obviously the Dixie Dean thing is you know every kid growing up knows that that number 60, nice round number. Um, it's you know even Messi and Ronaldo never got to 60 league goals in a season. Obviously Messi I think reached 50 in one, one campaign. I think You know, no one's scored over 40 league goals in the top flight since Jimmy Greaves um, back in the 60s. I think that's probably the the most realistic target at his current rate. You know, that that obviously allows for maybe a bit of a slowdown, maybe a few games out injured now and again. Um, But I think that's definitely within his grasp in the league. And yeah, I think well above... 50 probably all comps which would be amazing
4: yeah and i think the the other the other interesting one here is he is he signed a five-year deal at city and uh he was asked in his in his opening press conference you know um are are you ready to settle down roots at a club and he and he said well i've signed a five-year deal let's let's start with that um and Alan Shearer's Premier League record of 260 goals, you, you've tweeted that Saturday the 27th of February is uh, <laughs> 2027, is the current yeah. kind of the point at which he will pass that if he stays at his current rate. Uh, that's within his five-year contract. That's mad.
1: Yeah, it's mad. I mean, he'll still be in his, what will he be, mid-20s, mid mid-late 20s. And so he could, he could feasibly break the Premier League record, assuming Kane doesn't overtake it in the interim. Um, and then go somewhere else and, you know, go to Real Madrid or something. So, <laughs> I mean, obviously he's not going to keep up this rate for, for five years. But,
4: isn't he? Isn't he? <laughs> well,
1: yeah. I mean, it is It is mad, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I guess we've seen these sort of scoring rates from Messi-Ronaldo in La Liga. Um, we've never really seen it in the Premier League. You know, we the Premier League or English football in general does have a few of these kind of markers where you know no teams ever won the league through more uh, more than three years in a row obviously United have done it a few times Liverpool have Huddersfield Arsenal back back a long time ago obviously City can do it this season but you know there is a sort of certain glass ceiling in English football in terms of goals and and kind of continued success now I think Haaland at City could be the thing that that breaks a lot of those uh, smashes through a lot of those glass ceilings
3: You can listen to the show ad free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
4: The obsession is is with touches as well, because uh, I know I know City fans get a little bit upset by the focus on the number of touches that, that Harland is having. But mm. I'm I'm fascinated by how how many goals he's scoring with how few touches he's having.
1: Yeah, he's scoring a goal every 13.6 touches at the moment, which is pretty remarkable. Um, he's also got three assists in, in there as well, which, you know, only three players this season have got more than that. Kevin De Bruyne, obviously, Bernardo Silva and Bukayo Saka at Arsenal. So, you know, all players from the, from the top two sides. But, you know, Haaland's along with, you know, on three with a number of players across the, across the league. So if you actually add those in as well, I mean, it's almost the most productive kind of ball touch. Uh, ratio I've ever seen, really. I mean, obviously, he said, yeah, that's fine. I'd, I'd like to score with every touch. And I saw Guardiola come out and go, no, 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 no. <laughs> We've, please, please do more than that. I think it's kind of slightly pain in Guardiola that this, this machine is just, you know, rattling in goals. And, but he is, you know, anyone that watches the games, he is offering a lot more his movement, I think. I mean, I, you know, as a non-City fan, but somebody who watches a lot of Premier League football, I, I must say that this season... I'm kind of looking forward to City games more than I have in recent seasons. I think when Aguero in his pomp, it was the sort of same. It was quite exciting. I think maybe the last couple of years has, has kind of become a little bit formulaic. Um, you know, obviously successful. But but this year there's a real sort of excitement because Haaland really is, you know, offering something new. And I think he's allowing other players within the team to, to do more stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what you would you know, you think from a City fan point of view, but that's definitely how it feels from the outside.
4: I think, I think there's there's almost an element of a bit more chaos in City this season, mm. um, just because of of <laughs> it's almost as if De Bruyne looks at, at the box and goes, "Well, Haaland's in there somewhere, so let's just put it in and see what <laughs> happens." Um, the, the other the other one that I that I kind of spotted this week um, was Richard Jolly tweeted that um, Alfie Haaland scored three goals for City, and now that means that Erling Haaland has scored a hat trick for every goal that his dad scored for City. <laughs>
1: Yeah, good spot. I mean, it's yeah, it's just mad, isn't it? He's obviously, you know, matched Cristiano Ronaldo's hat-trick total but done it after eight games. It's just, um, he's rewriting the, the books, you know. I mean, obviously, Sergio Aguero does have the most Premier League hat-tricks but it took him, you know, nearly four years to get to three. Uh, it's taken Harland eight games. So, yeah. Um, I mean, anyone that plays fantasy FPL, you know, is... Yeah, what was it, the weekend? Five, five 5.6 million people captained him. Um, you, and can't anyway, not. you can't not now, can you? Well, I'm in a few leagues with some people that tried to get clever and you know thought they're playing United. Um, maybe he won't score a hat-trick, well... Yeah, and he got <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, have
4: that one. Um, he scored as many, like I say, he scored as many Premier League hat-tricks in the last 36 days as there were in the whole of the 06, 07 season. That's the That, that was, uh, you tweeted that, but that's famously the season that City scored 10 at home all season. Um, yeah. Which is a tally that Haaland that himself is now one short of. He's got nine at the Etihad this season. As the old saying goes, Erling Haaland is no Giorgio
1: Samara. <laughs> that is true. I think that is demonstrably true. I mean, someone actually t- replied to my tweet and said... That for them, 2006 or 7 is one of the weirdest seasons of, in Premier League history, and it kind of is. If you look at it, it's the lowest scoring season there's ever been in the Premier League era. Um, as you say, City had a very odd year. They, their last home goals of the season came on New Year's Day, which is mad. And you still, you know, still finished relatively comfortably. Um, as you say, only three hat tricks uh, all season as well. So it's a, It was kind of, I guess, the peak of the sort of Mourinho, Benitez. Um, who needs goals? That's just you know, grind out 1-0 wins forever, sort of. So I think we should, we should kind of be appreciative that we are kind of living through a, a much more open, you know, generally exciting um, period of, of Premier League football. Yeah,
4: and uh, just to finish, you mentioned uh, the uh, FPL Fantasy Premier League. Um, I, I had a look through Haaland's history on that for for this season so far. Um, he scored three bonus points, which is awarded statistically to the the best players on the pitch according to a very very long list of criteria. Um, but he scored the maximum three bonus points in five of his nine games, um, and he's yet to you, you know he's yet to get the basic two points in a game. It's 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 just <laughs> it's ridiculous this the, the, this fellow.
1: Yeah, it's. It's fun, isn't it? And it's like, I'm sure like with all, all sports, you know, someone arrives on the scene and is, is incredible. And at first everyone's super excited. I mean, if as posited earlier, he does carry on for five years at this rate, I'm sure by not for city fans, obviously, but generally I'm sure people will be eventually like, yeah, please stop scoring hat tricks. You're devaluing our beloved <laughs> low scoring sport. But you know, at the moment I think it's exciting, isn't it? Cause it's it's not been that often in, in Premier League history despite all the big clubs that there are and the, and the financial power they have that, that they've been able to bring in a player like Haaland at this point of his career. You know, it's it's often been later on in a player's career or, you know, or you know, I guess Aguero is kind of that, uh, probably a, a good comparison but generally, you know, Haaland has been posited as one of the two, you know, along with Mbappe as the two sort of, you know, big world stars of the new generation and, um, to see him, you know, in his pump hit the ground running like this is is pretty exciting.
4: Yeah, the signs are there that he's certainly settling, settling into life in the Premier League, at least. Um, you you mentioned earlier on uh, Sergio Aguero, the player with the most Premier League hat tricks. He he took three years and nine months to get to to, to that that number. Haaland's taken uh, one month and twenty five days. <laughs> um, would you be surprised, honestly, now, hand on heart, would you be surprised uh, if he equaled or broke that record this season alone?
1: I mean, I'd be surprised if he if he got 12 hat-tricks. I think the record in a single season is... I think Shearer got five in in one of... I think his last season at Blackburn, 95-96. So that, that could be 10? in his sights then? I think that's definitely going to go, yeah. But I mean, I think Aguero's safe at least till next season. So <laughs> <laughs> that's something at least. But yeah, I mean, that's that's a good record actually to go for. Shearer had a weird year that... I mean, he only, only scored in the 20s, but got... But got, had five hat tricks. It was kind of like um, you know, momentarily good, and then obviously that was his last season before going to Newcastle. So, yeah, I think um, I think that's definitely something that Harlan can can aim for.
3: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
4: That was Duncan Alexander from Opta talking about uh, Erling Haaland's numbers. Um, I mean, Nadam, if you didn't see Haaland's uh, performances in these last two games, or, or, well, I mean, all season, you would think it's made up, wouldn't you?
5: Yeah, this, this, what, like, I am, like, I love it, but then it's still every time I believe that it has to stop because the expectations are getting so ridiculous now that. You know, if he doesn't score a hat-trick, people are like, well, did he have a good day? Did he have a bad day? Yeah, bad bad day at the
4: office, he only got to.
5: (laughs) Exactly, but there'll be be some games he'll play in between now and the end of the season where he might not score, but he could be influential. You know, and that's the thing, which is a shame because now it feels like that'd be a mile off because someone will say he's not performed because he hasn't scored. But he offers so much to the team. And, you know, one of the narratives that I've heard go on, and I, I want to try and nip this in the bud very, very early, is people say, oh, he's not had that many touches, he's not had this. So I, I challenge someone to sort of answer this for me. How many touches should he have? And they'll probably not have an answer. So then you ask yourself, well, what's the bar? You know, if if, if somebody is on the field, they serve a purpose. You know, they are doing something. It's, it's arguably like some goalkeepers who don't get tons of touches, but they organize the defense immaculately. You know, it's not necessarily about the really obvious thing that you see, There's some of the other bits within it. And those runs that he makes, say, for example, Foden's first goal, if Haaland doesn't make the run to the sort of like far post at full speed, then there's no space for Foden to get in and do that. Yeah, But does that mean Haaland's doing nothing? Or does that mean that he's doing something? Like there's you, you're always involved in the game and he's, he's been absolutely incredible. And I think he's not just shocking the fans. I think he's shocking some of his teammates as well because they, they all knew he was good. But this sort of like rate of finishing, is bonkers to the point where I was on a City show yesterday and someone wrote in and the question they asked, which sort of put it all into perspective, I, so I personally think Messi is the greatest player of all time. Like, I, I love him. And someone said, do you think Haaland would be able to beat Messi's goal record for a calendar year? And the number was 91 goals. And I thought about, like, playing in my career. And, like, that's two and a bit seasons worth of goals collectively. You're talking at 70-something games for one of my teams to potentially get to 90 goals. And then he just did it in a calendar year with probably some time off in the summer. But this, these are the conversations that we're having about Haaland because right now he's just he's basically just disrespecting a game of football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
4: I mean, Kieran, I I love the touches stat because I just I, I think it shows a, a real kind of economy of touches in that. Like, surely you can't score this many goals without touching the ball. Like, he's almost one for one. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It doesn't add up, does it? Um, Pep kind of pulled him up
0: on something in the week, though, didn't he? Where he said, if I get five touches, we we'll score five goals, I'm happy. Um, And Pep said he didn't really like that. He wants him to be more involved and he wants him to touch it more. And the interesting thing is... Yeah, but that's because if he s-
4: touches it more, he'll score more goals. Yeah, well, exactly. <coughs> he, he,
0: he had more touches at the weekend against United and he got two assists as well as those three goals. So, you know, Pep improves players, as we know, um, but imagine how he could improve Erling Haaland if you know if this is what he's like. And then he's in- instructing him to touch it more or drop a little bit deeper and to hold it up a little bit. And then he pulls off two assists and three goals against United in the Derby. Absolutely obscene
5: stats, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, David, I've got something for you. This is to put it into perspective. And someone might agree with this. People might disagree. But if you look at, say, the way the football teams are made up, there's only one player that's outnumbered on the field, and that is the lone striker against two centre backs. Yeah. So when people say you should have more touches, well, he's the one person who isn't kind of designed to do that because there are always going to be two people matched up against him. Mm-hmm. Everywhere else is kind of 1v1s one and moving around. But like if the strike if the nine goes wandering out of position, then he serves no purpose because there's nobody that's going to be keeping those two people back. And that's the that's the job. Every time he threatens a line, because you're scared of his pace and his strength, you leave two people back there. So he might not touch the ball, but he's the reason why there's space in the ten and around it for other players.
4: Yeah. So it's but, so
5: mad then that uh, there'll be there'll be two
0: defenders on him, and he still managed to find himself in so much space yeah. in a single <laughs> and score did, so many
4: goals. I did yeah. wonder when uh, when United let him just run free at a corner. I just thought, you know, he's the greatest striker in the game at the moment. Lads. You <laughs> might you might want to follow him at some point. Yeah. It just like, it seems like a sensible thing to do. Um his goal run for City. Uh, like this is goals per game now. Um, it's two zero one three three one two one one three two. So he's yeah. only had one game for City where he's not scored, and in that game he got an assist. Yeah. So like, like at some point, like it has to slow down, doesn't it?
5: Yeah, you would think so. You would think so because, like, as more time passes, people have got more film on what he likes to do. So you'd like to think that create a game plan to make it harder for him. At the moment, something becomes harder. You know, the success rate will likely go down, but then in the same breath, like the goals don't become smaller, and his desire for goals doesn't le- doesn't lessen either. But it's like it's it, in in our lifetime seeing people like Messi, the guy from the other side of Manchester, and so on, who score fifty goals a season. It's completely altered our perspectives of football because there was once a time where like a great striker was one in two. And now we're at this level where, like, well, you know, Great you could carry on, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> if, you're, if you're not if you're not scoring seventy goals in a season, did you really play? You know, it's like it's <laughs> it's it's just it's so bonkers. But for now, I think um, as we were talking about before, we should just like celebrate it. You know, I'm not telling people what to do. Yeah. But these moments where you were watching some of the best football of your life, like, mm-hmm. it's unlikely to last forever, and even with these moments for like Harlem, when he steps on the field, he almost expects to score. But the reality of football is, at some point, there might be a slump, and maybe you'll just go to a goal a game at that point. Yeah, yeah.
4: Uh, how would you? How would you have defended him?
5: Me, I'd have been sick every time he was playing. <laughs> I'd be like
4: oh, no, 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 I've got that,
5: yeah. I've got that northern look. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I have a hamstring tied no. today, boss. Sorry. He's, he's, he's one of those people. Like at this moment in time, like there's nothing worse as a defender than playing against a striker that's it's supremely confident because it seems like everything drops to them. Like even in the Copenhagen game yesterday the second goal that he scored. Like, he's just gone in, but it's just crazy how all of a sudden the keepers tipped it exactly to him. There's a sense of inevitability, and the only time I've really seen that, say in the Premier League, from like a slightly different perspective, positionally, was like Lampard turning up on the edge of the box. Like, he'd be playing well, then there's a cutback. uh, We're all fine. No, we're not. Here comes Uh, Frank Lampard. You know, that, that moment of despair. Like, for us, we're getting the best perception of it because he's on our side, so we're excited for it. But imagine the opposition when they're coming up against him and they're like, oh, for God's sake, here we go. He's going to do that thing again, which he's done a thousand times over already. Yeah.
4: And one final question on Harlan before we move on, Nadem. You played in a team that scored 10 at home all season.
5: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Haaland's the best 10 goals you've ever seen them as well.
4: But Harlan's now one short of that on his own.
5: Yeah, so what do you want me to say? You know what I mean? As a defender, let's just say, let's put it this way. Let's spin it. Let's spin it. And even though georgia Samurai scored that penalty in like February against Everton or whatever it was, like we didn't really get involved in a relegation dogfight even though we didn't score any goals. Therefore, true, true. that's mm-hmm. arguably the greatest defense of all time. <laughs> I'm going I to put will, that I one will, out there I will leave yeah. that
4: one up to the listeners but, uh, Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what they say um, Kieran, uh, Zane has been in touch on the emails to say, uh, do you think that the Derby was Jack Grealish's best game in a City shirt I felt like his performance was overlooked in the analysis that I've seen, if there was ever a time for people to appreciate what Grealish brings to this side, this was it now this email came in uh, before the Copenhagen game uh, which, uh, I mean when you put his two performances together this week, uh, he really deserved uh, at least a goal out of the, out the two performances didn't
0: they? Yeah. I feel a bit sad that um, the goals and assists mantle has just been attached to Jack Grealish and the £100 million tag. He seems to be carrying around a sign, like some Victorian punishment that says um, £100 million on it because he just can't seem to shake that and he can't seem to f- shake the fact that his statistics... Um, you know, aren't aren't gleaming in lights. But, yeah, it's a, it's, um, a, it's a reductive look at what he offers. It's it? a very reductive look, especially when you see him week in, week out, the way we will. Um, and you watch the improvement, you know, at the minute, the swagger that there's been, and I think it may be, you know, scoring early against Wolves, coming back from injury, hitting the ground running, maybe the focus is more on Haaland these days than, you know, than the £100 million man. Um, and he can just quietly get on with his game. I really wish he wasn't just that you know it wasn't just the barometer to judge somebody by it was the, you know the goals and assists because everything he's bringing to the team at the moment is invaluable. Uh, he's pulling the strings so well. He's dancing through defenders again. He's up, you know what he does really well is buying fouls files uh, in dangerous places. He, he won that free kick uh, that Gundogan hit the post from in the derby. Uh, Dalla was up against him and got booked after what one minute or, yeah, or something.
4: It's certainly first five minutes or so. Yeah, it?
0: in the first five minutes. So. Um, um, little things that he does like that just really, really impact the game in, in ways that you don't see. And I mean, there's no question in my mind that he's going to start coming up with the numbers where he's sticking it in the net or, or you know, putting it in somebody's foot who sticks it in the net, especially when it seems like all you have to do at the moment is hit the ball into the box and Halland will be there for it. But um, Pep loves him and it, and Grealish it seems to be playing with newfound confidence and a smile on his face. And... You know, my only worry for him is on a night like last night against Copenhagen that he believes that he needs to score more. So he's trying almost too hard, and it, it, it's almost living in his head a little bit rent free. You know the fact that he should be scoring, or should be assisting, because he, he looked like he was almost on the verge of tears last night. You know when he when he put one just wide, it was like, oh please, will this go in for me? Please, will this go in for me? And I wish he would rate himself you know, for all his other talents and all his other skills and everything else he's bringing to the side. Yeah. now do you think he is too hard on
4: himself?
5: Um, It's tough to say. Like he he puts on a very like strong front to say that he's not really concerned by it. But then after he scored in the Wolves game an interview afterwards, he spoke about how he had a lack of confidence. You know, he said this could be something that sort of helps him kick on. So he is, he is aware of the way people discuss him and he is aware of his impact in the team. And, you know, there's a. I'm so I'm I'm split on this. Just because I think he's a very good player, and you know, assists and goals aren't necessarily be on an end all of everything. But as you look at City's front line, there are tons of assists and goals. So it's almost like we're trying to create in some ways a different barometer for him. So he does play well, and he does have a huge impact, as was the case, say with the um, Alvarez goal yesterday, when he went on like a forty-yard dribble, taking it directly to people. Like you don't want to play against that. But you know, from the outside, and City fans know. City fans know when someone's playing well. And it's not necessarily down to the goals that they score. That's why you support. We support like certain players the other people don't like. Well, we see the bigger picture. But yeah, he's uh, he's going to be a slave to that because for as good as he's playing right now, for example, to put it into that sort of like real world context, he's been selected by one point five percent of people in fantasy football. You know, but that's the split between the real game and how you perform in the game from a statistical standpoint because other people are far higher even though they're essentially having the same impact.
4: Yeah, and of course on Fantasy League all that matters is goals and assists. (laughs) Literally, yeah. Uh, So we're corrupted, we're
5: corrupted. That's what I mean. It's the sort of paradox of like watching a game of football. You're seeing it in two different ways which perhaps you shouldn't be doing but that's just the way we are in 2022.
3: If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Kieran, uh, news that today that Carl uh, Walker's World Cup could be in doubt because of uh, the injury that he picked up in the Derby. Um, it's it's a really tough one. This because I, I'm wondering how problematic it is for City missing fullbacks at the moment, given that there's only really Walker and, and Cancelo who are the senior ones. Gomez coming through, um, but it's it, it's kind of the one area where you don't really want City to lose players right now.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I feel really sorry for kyle walker and i feel really concerned by what's kind of happened to him in the past uh four or five months maybe um he never really had massive problems with injuries and he's just in and out of the side and it, it's one of those where when he gets back in it's only uh, you know it's a matter of well minutes as it turns out uh and he's out again and this time with a different injury and um, i would my heart would break for him if he's out of the world cup as well but From a city perspective,
4: so you're Irish, though you don't really care. Uh, Oh well, no, but
0: I like I like to see yeah, Um, I like to see city players going to the World Cup, and I like to see um, and I I like when they're firing in all cylinders. And and, you know, I love Kyle Walker. Um, I think he's a massive, massive part of City's recent success Um, and what he brought to right back at the club. You you know, you just get in your head that nobody else really provides it that way. You know, he, he had a very particular set of skills. And we miss him when he's not there, uh, and also having to move Cancelo over there limits him because I, I just think he's better coming from left back. And um, so yeah, fullback is one of those, and, and we missed out on Cookeray in the summer, which was a protracted transfer saga kind of thing. And um, we got Gomez, who I think who I think looks good, and um, but again he's he's at left back, so that would mean Cancelo switching over. Um so yeah, full, fullback's it is an issue. Um, it was nice to see Rico Lewis come on against Copenhagen and, and get some minutes um, because we we might be needing them. We might be needing the youngsters um, at this rate. Yeah,
4: I was going to say, though, Nadem, of of the players that came in in the summer, um, Gomez was probably one of those that was expected not really to have that much of an impact, but he looks quite handy, doesn't
5: he? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Lo and behold, City recruits someone who can play exactly how want, they'd want them to. You know, it's <laughs> <Funny that, laughs> is it? It's crazy, yeah. All of a sudden yeah. as well yesterday. He's just like playing in midfield. Oh, that's that's insane. Fancy that from the recruitment side of things. Yeah, fair yeah. play. You know what I mean? They they get it. They get it. It's obviously nice that he's a city fan as well. That that obviously helps. So you can see he's gonna be enjoying his time there. he seems like he's a hard working guy, understands the system, wants to make the right decisions, and he's he's young enough to be able to get better as well. So you know, even though he might not necessarily be as glamorous as say Cancelo is in that position at times, you don't need glamour all across the field when you've got some of the best players ahead of you anyway. You mm-hmm. need people, as is the case in my opinion, with the two centre-backs who are solid. They make the right decisions. They're competitive. They don't want to concede goals. And then if you can have that from that side, then the trade off the same because it's essentially what CTR, when Walker's on the right and Cancelo's on the left, maybe Gomez can be that on the left and Cancelo on the right. You know, I'd be more than happy with that.
4: Yeah, I'm interested, Naidem, as well, on your thoughts on um, Akanji because he's been, for my money, very impressive since he arrived. But he did he did something during the derby that it was the way he stepped out, read a read a pass, intercepted
5: it, and then took it under control. It just made me think of Vincent Kompany. Yeah, it was, I think I remember the point, and it was like quite precarious as well. Yeah. You know, there's been a quick giveaway, and for as much as he defended that well, I think United butchered the attack. Let's let's call it what it is. But <laughs> it there is. There was, like, he has certain company mannerisms. It's the way that, say, he moves the ball, the way, like, he'll he'll be blocking things. It's not like a huge last-ditch throw of a thing. It's like he's read it. And those people are always the worst because they, they kind of break your spirit. Because, you know, when you play the ball, you put your head down for a second. And then all of a sudden, as you look up, somebody's taken it away who wasn't there beforehand. So he's very good at that. Fantastic at reading the game. Good decision-making. Moves the ball. Doesn't take chances with it. But then also, like when he starts coming forward, you can see that nobody knows how to tackle him and nobody wants to tackle him, yet still he can make the right decision, you know? So it's lo and behold, another good signing. They somehow (laughs) managed to, to sign somebody who's played in the Champions League before and who is an international in Europe and has played in tons of big games and is going to get better. Fancy that. Yeah,
4: fifteen million quid as well an absolute steal. Yeah. Um uh, Kieran though, when you when you saw the the team sheet uh, for weekend, obviously we we talked a bit earlier on about there being no Rodri and that being a big source of panic. Um I, I saw a few people that were that were a bit upset that Ake had got the nod ahead of uh, Ruben Diaz. Now obviously Diaz is one of the, the one of those players again, like Nadham says, that's come in and, and, and really made an impact when he arrived. Um I'm I'm wondering why people don't really trust Ake, because again, another solid performance from him. He has really grown
0: into his role at the club, uh, and I'm so glad we kept him because it, you know it was looking hairy at, at times in the summer that he was going to go to Chelsea again. Um, I I just think he's brilliant. He's really solid. Um, he does a great job. I, I mean, he is a sort of squad player as such, but then when he's getting the nod ahead of Ruben Diaz, you're going right. He's trusted here. I think um, in Sam Le and Paul Bias's uh, article for the Athletic at the weekend, they were saying that. All it was down to was they wanted a you know a left footer and a right footer because those fine margins, and um, were going to help City play out that way um, and just uh, curve the balls kind of in you know in those specific directions that they wanted to and you know I love stuff like that I think that's so interesting but what Ake actually brought on the day. Um, he was just his passing was incredible. Um the way him and Akanji were passing around the back, and then when Gundogan was dropping a little bit and, and they were breaking the lines with their passes into him. Um and then Ake, I think, you know, did a couple of like runs forward through space and, and United just were so slack and never went anywhere near him. it's just like this 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 kid's brilliant, you know. Yeah. Um it doesn't, lo- to... doesn't
4: lose headers either, weirdly. i I've yeah, noticed, yeah. one thing um, I've noticed about him.
0: Was, he was signed, and there was a little bit of a question mark over his aerial, aerial ability, but I've been nothing but impressed with it. And, I mean, to kind of quote Natum, like, lo and behold, City have got the recruitment, <laughs> right, because, you know, he's come in, he's slotted in. He's a Dutch international, for God's sake, you know, and um, he, he, he's just, it's a funny one. I mean, we've got five central defenders who are, you know, all unbelievable in their own ways, um, and only four slots, really, for them, if you like. Um, but one keeps sort of dropping out injured and then we've just got this absolute, like, we're spoiled for choice about who we want and they all bring something different and they're all going to slot in at some point where, you know, the match in the context of what they're up against is going to suit th- them and, you know, their mm. positional talent, their passing ability, their aerial ability, their aggression. Um, and we're just, you know, a- a- the only thing I suppose would be keeping them all happy, you know, if there's going to be five defenders there's a worry that one might want to leave come the summer, but um Ake I think uh, has has a lot still to show, and and yeah. you know, long may it continue with him in central central defence. I do, I don't feel nervous at all with him there anymore. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, when maybe you would have at the start when you prefer the likes of Stones or Diaz in there.
5: For perspective again, and obviously everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but like if you were to ask. 19 other Premier League teams, if you'd like a left-footed Dutch international centre back, the likelihood (laughs) is that they'll say yes. So when people look at him, look down their nose at him, I think they're missing the point. Maybe because he came from Bournemouth or whatever, people say, Oh, he's not this or he's not that. Like he's I think the Holland made it to the World Cup, so he's gonna be at the World Cup, he's probably gonna be playing minutes there and he's gonna be trusted from that standpoint. So what what's the what's the matter? We don't have the reps in terms of seeing him do really, really well for City, but we've had enough reps of him playing and the team winning. And in terms of the aerial thing, like what I really like about him, and this is the same thing for like a John Stones as well. They've got, I think, those guys. For as good as the others are, I think those guys have a better feel for like coming up against big physical centre forwards in England, and they love going up in the air to try and win those headers. Like you see that with, um, say, uh, you see him when he's trying to score um, from set pieces and stuff like that. Like they've got a set, they've got a hint of old school about them. So maybe that's not what suits people's eyes, but then in the same breath, like I live, I live it. I love, for, I love it. I literally live for it, and I love it because it means whatever someone is prepared to throw at Man City, they've got something to push back with. Yeah. And I like, I'm here for that because it's, that's why it's like a total football team when they're doing well.
4: Yeah, uh, Right, well let's, uh, let's look ahead to uh, the coming game shortly uh, We've mentioned a few times already on the podcast this season though That Guardiola's contract is up in the summer uh, No, we're not panicking, you're panicking Stop saying that, we're panicking Anyway, the manager sort of addressed his future ahead of the Manchester derby uh, He didn't say he was staying, he didn't say he was leaving But he did say that everything will be okay I went to that press conference and have been examining what was said We've been here before, of course. Here's Pep Guardiola speaking to City TV about the decision to extend his contract in 2018.
2: It's a pleasure to work in this, in this family, in this organisation, in this club, and still I have the feeling, we have the feeling, with the players uh, we have, uh, because I am enjoying every day to work with uh, them, to be with them. Uh, to try to do our best for the the coming years.
4: He'd just finished his second season and had one more to go on his original deal. That two-year extension took him to May 2021. At that point, we all forgot about it and then, all of a sudden, Guardiola's final year was upon us. Despite a slow start to that campaign, news broke of another two-year extension in November 2020.
2: Well, as a manager, uh, I have everything that I need. Our chairman... And this time was the main reason that's why I decided to, to continue. We put and the, the both sides to, to continue or not and at the end we decide the best for for all of us is uh, continue because still we have the feeling that still is not unfinished business and still we have a you know, something to do, continue what we have done the last years.
4: And now, here we are again. Roughly two years on, we're in the same situation, waiting to hear whether Guardiola will extend his deal again. This is City fan Dan Burke on last week's show. There's
1: going to be a drop-off there for sure. It's a question that's keeping me awake at night as well. I hope to God those rumours that were knocking around last week about him signing a new deal are true, because it's it's something I don't really want to contemplate either. I just don't really know who's out there. The week
4: before, Adam Carter from statcity.co.uk was hopeful.
1: I'm under the belief that when Harlan's getting offered a contract, they're saying, yeah, you're going to be working under Guardiola. A lot of the new signings always say, I joined to play under Guardiola. And if he's saying, oh yeah, but he's going in 12 on time and you've signed a five-year deal, that's the only hope I've got that these guys know that something's in the pipeline and it's going to happen. Give him a 50-year contract for me. Literally, he can have whatever he wants.
4: <laughs> Meanwhile, City fan Adam Monk was feeling okay-ish if
1: Guardiola were to call it a day next summer. The thing is with Pep, he's a trendsetter, so there's so many coaches that want to emulate what he does that there's actually there's so many coaches out there at every level, really, that, that, that want to sort of fit his mould. So I'm sure, I actually think... I don't think it'll be the crisis that City fans think it'll be. Obviously, we're never going to hit the the extreme heights again, but I think we're definitely going to stay at the top of the league and challenging every year, no doubt about that.
4: So what has Guardiola had to say about it all? Well, back in August, he told Sky Sports that a decision would probably be made this winter.
2: You know, in World Cup, after World Cup, we, we, we talk. The best for the club, for me, for the club the best, the first and after we will see.
4: And that brings us to this week and Guardiola's press conference ahead of the Manchester derby. He was actually asked about United and whether Eric Ten Hag can bring success back to Old Trafford, but he ended up relating that to his position at City.
2: He knows, I know, everybody knows, it will depend on the results. I'm still here sitting because we won in the past, otherwise I would not be here. Eric knows it, and all the manager was before Eric, and now we're not there, they know it. So if you win in the big clubs, you have time. If you don't win, you are more in, in trouble.
4: That speaks to what Guardiola was saying in 2020, that despite what he'd achieved at City already, even he had to earn his contract extension. Then ahead of the match with United, he went on to explain what foundations are needed for success.
2: The hierarchy is so important. How much time you wanna, or you believe with the manager, how many times you give it, give to the manager to okay do, whatever uh, you wanna do. So the result is a part, but I think the club has to watch how they train, how they behave, how they solve the problems, how they handle the locker room, the media, and whatever. And if the you know the club trusts what he's doing, give time. Football, like many things in life, needs time to be solid. To so, you know, to to be something is there. If you change a lot and players and managers, it, it's more difficult.
4: City have had stability, and not just in Guardiola's time with the club either. The appointments of Ferran Soriano as chief executive and Chiki Baggerastein as director of football came in 2012, while Roberto Mancini was still the manager. City were putting their future structure in place. Guardiola was asked about it in that media conference.
2: The club knows exactly what, to, what is the target next step. no will be zero that. I'm 100% convinced. They know what is the strategy, what they have to do for... Right now, day after tomorrow, after World Cup, next seasons, next season. When the club depends just on one person, we are in problems. It's because the club is not solid. If the club just depends on Pep, it's because we have not done really, really well in this period. If the club depends just for one player, for the typical struggle score a goal, depend on them, that will not be a good team.
4: And as much as fans might worry about what will follow Guardiola, he believes that City will have everything in hand.
2: I never buy a player, I never sell a players. it's not my money, it's the club, the club. Club is the most important word and every decision we make is thinking about the club, for today after tomorrow, for the next years and for the future. And the club knows it, knows it really, really well, the type of players, the way you want to play, with me, always without me and the way, the way they want to do it.
4: He didn't say whether or not this would actually be his final season, that's a decision for the coming weeks and months. But the manager is confident that if it's him or if it's somebody else in the dugout next season, then City know exactly what they're doing. We'll let you decide if that makes you feel more relaxed about the idea of Guardiola's tenure ending in May, or if it does nothing to settle down the nerves. After all, it might be nicer for everyone if he stayed on for just a little bit longer hi this is andy morrison and you're listening to the blue moon podcast
3: this is the blue moon podcast but a worry it'll be over soon
4: That was a look back at Guardiola's comments ahead of the derby. Um, Nadam, I'm, I'm interested in, uh, in kind of your take on this because um, Guardiola's contract is one of those things that he can't. He's very, very relaxed about it, and kind of has said a few times that the decision will be made during the World Cup, all that sort of stuff. And like, there's there's one element of City fans who are getting a little bit nervous that you know it's getting towards the end of his time at uh, the end of this contract anyway and he might not he might decide that that's that's time to call it a day. Uh, and there's another 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 side of the fence is that you know they've made all these big signings in the summer. There's no way that the likes of Erling Haaland or uh, Julián Álvarez or whoever will come in and uh, and the, the the idea is that Guardiola will leave at the end of the season. So how are you feeling about it all?
5: Um right so respectfully respectfully I think the way that the club is they don't necessarily sign players for managers. They sign players for the style of play that they want the club to play to. And I think that's one of the key differences between, say, different clubs that we see around the country and so on and so forth. And, say, the moment that Pep does leave, that's going to be a huge loss, but it's going to be a huge opening for whoever comes in because they've got some of the best players in the world who are now obsessed winners on the field, on the training pitch, ready to prove themselves again. You know, this team is like... Pep says it himself, like, the team's incredible, the team's incredible, the team's incredible. And that doesn't disappear when Pep leaves. And, you know, I'd love to see Pep stay there for the rest of his life and win every trophy available till the end of time. But that's not the reality of the way management is, especially the managers who are successful as he is. Because they, essentially, they're wanted by everybody or they're wanted by all the teams that really want to be successful. We know what his brand is. And we know that people can only dream of seeing their team do kind of what City have done now. So he can be relaxed because... You know, he, it's when I was, he, he's very passionate about coaching Man City. That's why he's crying. That's why he's shedding tears at the end of last season. But then in the same breath, like, he has a career and he's got things which he'd probably want to do as well as this this thing for City. And it would be sad to see him leave. But I think if he leaves, he goes down as, like, not just one of the greatest managers City's ever had, but maybe one of the greatest managers that the Premier League's ever seen. Yeah. And, like, that's it. I'd be devastated when he leaves. But what a time, what an experience. And then, thankfully... We've still got Haaland, still got Alvarez, still got all these players and we've still got them desperate to try and prove a point that they're still the champions that they are. So it's a shame and people want security. But then if you said he wanted to stay and he signed a 10-year deal, do you really expect him to stay for 10 years anyway? You know, that's not the way that football tends to work. So I wouldn't live and die by him not saying anything about the end of the season. I just celebrate this moment, enjoy this moment because it could be a fantastic year for the club. Yeah,
4: Kieran. The uh, I mean, the, the, it's interesting that Nadem says that about signing ten years because I didn't think we'd get seven years of Guardiola, and yet here we are. So, like, there's there, there is the other side of this where, um, like, we've enjoyed every we've enjoyed every step of the way that that Guardiola's been part of this club, and th- there's almost a sense of like you can't keep looking into the future; you just have to kind of live in the moment, don't you? Yeah, and I think that seems to be what he's wanting to do right now. Um... I am as,
0: as to sort of echo Nadim's point. Um, I, I would be devastated when he leaves, but you'll also you'll you'll never see football like this. And and to hold on to what we've seen is just an absolute privilege, and it, it's it's unbelievable. But it's it, the interesting thing for me is that this manifestation of Pep, um, could be the best. You know, if it keeps on going the way it is, and um. I mean, it's early days yet, so you never know if it's going to, you know, we if we're going to hit the heights of Centurions or, um, you know, other successful kind of uh pep iterations. But it's just, you know, it's so exciting to see what happens this season. There's, um, It's kind of what Nathan was saying earlier on about, like, not wanting a to end with, with Haaland and almost like you're almost nervous already for when, you know, it stops with Haaland and the goals, you know, maybe go into a slump or whatever. But you do need to live in the present a little bit more and realise that we are sort of comfortably comfortably the best team in England. I know the league table will say that Arsenal might be at the moment, but um, I'm one of the best teams in Europe and, you know, the world. And to think where we came from and what we've seen, to be sitting where we are now, um, yeah, just enjoy it for what it is now, I think, um, yeah, and, that- and
4: worry when the time comes to worry. Yeah, that little boy who went to school every Monday morning, having lost again at the weekend. Mm-hmm. He's just, just enjoying the last few years, I'll tell you that. Um Definitely. Let's let's have a look at the games coming up then. Southampton uh, gave City a fair few problems last season. Uh, as with Palace though, Nadam, I'm wondering if uh, if this is the sort of thing that is fixed just by having Her- Erling Haaland's presence in the box.
5: <laughs> it definitely helps. It definitely helps. But I think in this instance, all the players are in good form as well. And I think for Southampton, Southampton, like you know, they're in the Premier League. They didn't just get here through a raffle or some sort of lucky dip or whatever. Like they deserve to be here, but they're not in their best moment. And I think for the way that they've been, some of the weaknesses that they've had, you can see City kind of exploiting them. And I'll be honest, yesterday for the Champions League game was the first time where I was like openly, not just thinking, but saying like, City are just miles better. And if City perform anywhere near their best, they're just easily going to win the game and they easily won the game. I think the Southampton game is a bit different. But as you look through the team that City have and the people who they left on the bench for the Champions League game, like... They're set. They're good to go. When you think about other moments that the club have, club have had in the past where someone says, oh, is the force nine going to work? Blah, blah, blah. Or is there an issue with this, issue with that, so on and so forth? Those issues don't exist right now. You know, you could the Kyle Walker being out is a blow. John Stone's being out is a blow. But they can put out a fantastic team. Yeah. And a fantastic team where it seems like front to back, everybody's playing well. So for Southampton, they know that they have to be at their absolute best to have a chance of getting a result in the hope that City don't perform near their best. But the way that City are playing at the moment, like their best is something that, you know, they seem to be showing us on a week-to-week basis. So, it, you know, it could always be tricky because it's still 11 v 11 and Southampton have enough talent to win a game. But, you know, this year with City, what they've shown is that they can come from behind and they can lead from the front. So however the game starts, there's almost this sort of like positive feeling that it will end well. Yeah. And that's a nice thing to have because that's not a normal feeling within professional football. Yeah,
4: they, I mean, the, the key here as well, Kieran, um, Naden mentioned it then, Foden and De Bruyne didn't even get on the pitch in midweek. Uh, so you'd expect them to come back in. They they were in fantastic form at weekend. It's just like, it, honestly, at the moment, we talked about fantasy football earlier. City are literally playing fantasy football.
0: Yeah, um, and it is like, you know, we we talked earlier on about the disappointment of United, uh, United scoring those two late goals. And, you know, the, fin- the, the sheen was maybe taken off um, with the final score being 6-3. But when you think about the game management of that and how those legs will have got a well-deserved rest and then we've gone and beaten Copenhagen 5-0 whilst Foden and De Bruyne have got have got their legs rested. It's just... The... Only, for, only
4: 45 minutes
0: for Haaland as well. He was only on the yeah. pitch for the half. Yeah, I know. Um, so it's just... It is. It really is a fantasy kind of football setup, uh, and Pep is just rotating the squad. He seems to have maybe, you know, because you know players who maybe weren't. I'm not saying any of them will be happy to be dropped or rotated, but um, you get the feeling that that was something that really kind of made, uh, let's say, Sterling, Jesus, and um, you know, it was huge factors in them kind of deciding to leave in the end. Um, and you just feel now that we're involved in such heavy competition and they know the value of rest and the new signings are bedding in and there's been a few injuries and it does seem like he's keeping everybody happy and the the vibe and the ethos um within the team and the spirit within the team um they're just they all seem really up for it and they seem so unbelievably together and yeah the the players coming in and out and resting up um, yeah it's just it's been played really really well um although i don't want haland to get any rest anytime soon until <laughs> uh, until the world cup did you see that tweet from mark Wa- um mark watson at the weekend no i missed that um Halland should go to the world cup and every team is allowed to summon him once in the tournament for 30 minutes he arrives by parachute we'll work on the logistics when we have this
4: approved <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like, I like i like the idea but i'm i'm more than happy with him staying in manchester yeah, and, uh, and get, getting some rest um yeah. Uh, Naden, we've we've talked a little bit about uh, momentum uh, because the the one thing that that City did really well in the derby was know when to attack and when to just kind of slow it down, control the game, sort of thing. So we know we know how Guardiola values momentum in games and and, and taking advantage when you're on top. Um, how much does it? How, how much is it kind of impactful as a player, kind of week to week? So when you start building up a winning run, and and City are now in the process of, of putting wins together. Like, how does, that, how does that make you feel going into a game? Because I'm wondering if that could just be a key factor in, in, in this meeting with Southampton, that city just go into it going, we're we're on the top of the world at the moment, and that is already kind of like 10% of, of the way there.
5: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily just say it's 10% because the, every game is different, the opposition are different and so on. But what it does is it fills you with self-confidence. In the same way we have conversations about people who we perceive to be out of form and how it's affecting their game, think of the mentality of somebody that is in form and when they look around them, they've got players who are also in form. And when they look at, like, to again, to put it into perspective, when I was younger and I was playing for City and the like, there were times where we got told to play out from the back and I might have been at right back near the halfway line waiting for the ball to eventually make its way to me. But the moment you, there's a sense of danger, it's not going well, I used to just run back in because there's a sense that something bad's going to happen. But for those players, they'll stay in the right position, they'll make the right decisions because they know everyone else around them's doing the same thing. And when they do look at the matchups on the field, Phil could be taking someone on Jack could be taking someone on Erling could be doing something incredible Kevin De Bruyne has found the slot Bernardo Silva who's an allegedly a centre midfielder is now out on the left wing isolating someone chopping them inside and out spinning them out you know what I mean so it makes a big difference You when you start winning it's like the easiest game in the world Yeah, it's the yeah. easiest game in the world because it's just what you expect and in the same way sometimes when things are bad you almost like expect the worst thing to happen for them they're almost expecting the best thing to happen and obviously the challenges will vary but as they approach a game like i think how often, how rarely they'll be thinking well we're only going to have 40% possession today you know they know they're going to dictate the game and if they make the right decisions and the players step up they'll play well they'll win the game and that's such a nice position to be in because as was the other side of that Copenhagen yesterday like people think that Players just want to drop off and not have the ball. Not having the ball is what misery looks like for 90 minutes. (laughs) It's hard work, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you at no point when you have the ball, you decide where you go when you don't. You're being told where to go by where the ball is with the opposition. You know, that's the reality of the situation. So they're feeling they're winning games, they're looking great, they're feeling each other in terms of their performances, and they know that everybody's chipping in and scoring goals, and every part of that machine is so well-oiled and understanding at the moment that when they walk out in the field, they know what to expect and know how it's going to be. And if someone's not doing it, they can speak up. Anyone can speak up because everybody knows how it's supposed to look. And I think that's the difference between, say, City and some other sides because some other sides have the talent, but they don't really have everybody creating the same sort of masterpiece. Whereas for City, they very much are on pace with that at the moment. Yeah, So you kind of know what you're going to see every time you watch them. Yeah.
4: Now, not, not getting too far ahead of ourselves uh, here, Kieran, as well, but it's Liverpool away after Copenhagen. Um, and I'm wondering how how that makes you want Guardiola to approach the Copenhagen game. Because in, in the Champions League, City, nine points, top of the group, uh, practically through, not mathematically through yet, but pretty much there. Um, is, it, is it a balancing game now with these next three games, with, uh, with the fact that it's Liverpool away as, as the third one?
0: Yeah, yeah, um, I guess so. But I think in the past couple of seasons, we've just seen, you know, the genius of Pep in terms of how he rests and how he rotates and who he brings in uh, and who comes out. I just, you know, there seems to be always this kind of long game. Um, and I know he says all the time, we you know, we're only thinking about the next game, we're only thinking about the next game, but you will be looking over your shoulder at Anfield thinking right we we need to work this carefully um and yeah I mean the, the success so far in in Europe this campaign has been you know maybe allowing us to be a little bit more flexible um, especially when you know we've had the benefit of playing Copenhagen so recently and so freshly you'll you'll straight away know what they're like, and it'll be hard for them to kind of approach it too much differently because the you know the short turnaround between the two legs um so yeah um it's an interesting one because Alvarez could probably do with a few more minutes. Um, But then, you you know, you don't want to, you don't want to rest Haaland completely, but uh, you know, because you want some running in his legs and you don't want him to fall off. But um, I mean, he's a superpower, isn't he? So uh, does he need any rest or, you know, who who knows ever. Um, But yeah, I, I, I don't really want to think about Anfield just yet, you know. Um, <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry for the cop out of the uh, of the answer, but um, yeah, rather Pep than me on this one because I just I, it's it's the Derby's one thing um, because there's a different sort of level of nerves there. But when when you know Anfield's on the horizon, just with our you know atrocious record there, even with even with the way things are at the setup at the moment, and you know Ned, I'm saying that you know. You've got the talent, and you've all you you trust in everybody around you, and you, you know that everybody's on the same page, and you're a winning machine. And um, even with Anfield on the horizon, I just uh, you know I, it doesn't ever feel that way to me.
4: It's a it's a weird place, Anfield. Weird things yeah. happen. That's all. That like, like it's it's you bad you get bad decisions, or the bounce of the ball doesn't go right. I don't understand what happens there, but there's it's, yeah. it's I mean it's obviously witchcraft. That's what it is. Yeah. Um uh, Nadeem, uh, Kieran mentioned it earlier that uh, a fair few youngsters came off the bench uh, on Wednesday night against Copenhagen. Um, how important are these games for those youngsters at the uh, at the moment? The fact that they can get into a winning side, play in the way that City want to play and, uh, and get that experience.
5: Uh, just to really call this out for what it is, you know, we're talking about them getting game time in the Champions League. You know, I, myself, and thousands of other current and ex-players could only dream of even having a second play in the Champions League. But these guys are being trusted to play against some of the high-level opposition around Europe, which is an incredible feeling. But once you see the way that they play, you know they're there for a reason. It's not just because they're young. It's because they understand the system. It's because they're competitive. And even though they might not be as good as the person that's ahead of them, you know, they're good enough. That The youngsters are good enough to play in the Champions League. Like, that statement itself is like the biggest advert for an academy that you could probably ever give these guys are good enough to play for manchester city in the champions league and they did you know they do well obviously copenhagen weren't in the best spot but copenhagen are still better than a lot of teams who city will play between now and the end of the season regardless so it's it's good to see them getting the opportunity i think when some of the more senior players are like all readily available and you know the fact it's five subs. Like someone was saying that City squad isn't as deep, and you know maybe mathematically it's not. But the fact is, like the benches are also bigger. Back in the day when it was like five subs or three subs, or even going even further back when it's like one sub, you know you won't see you won't be seeing these youngsters there, but they're there, and they're ready. And that's what I love because they always make a good account for themselves. And even though you know when the biggest games appear, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to see them on the starting list you know they'll be ready because they've had game time they've played in big moments and they've played alongside some of our favorite players for city now so i'm yeah. i'm delighted for them delighted for the academy and delighted for those guys because you know there's a there's a there's a difference in my opinion anyway between making your debut and just saying yeah I played in the champions league because it's not too bad is it yeah
4: not at all um just out of interest before we get some predictions on the board uh, does anyone know who scored city's first ever goal against fc copenhagen in their stadium parken
5: uh, pfft, gosh well I don't know. If it, <laughs> let, me, let me think. Is it, oh, hang on, is it me?
4: It is, is it you, me? yes. It is you. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm interested, though, because uh, I've just read this in your book. Um, Craig Bellamy was square of you when you took the shot on. Um, yes, given yes, Given that it, it, it just about crept in, uh, did yes. he, what, did he, what did he say?
5: Yes, he uh, congratulated me, and um, <laughs> I was also very relieved. And if someone can, you know, you can go and find that goal back, like, Everything until the finish was very good. It was very, very good. The running behind, the ball from Steven Island, the open of the hip, the, the potential whip to the far corner before dragging it basically <laughs> to the keeper's <laughs> other side as he just fell. He just basically, he basically threw the ball into the goal. But in the same way we're talking about people like Rico playing in the Champions League, I have scored in Europe. Yeah. Yes. So When we're playing together, <laughs> Moons, just remember that. I have scored in Europe. Just have- remember that.
4: I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast yet so far as well, but you have also scored past me because uh, you rolled a, a really nice pass back to me last time we played together.
5: And yeah, uh, I, I, well. I, went, I went
4: to take a touch and just just let it straight through my legs. Ah, technicalities,
5: so. technicalities. We yeah. don't need to discuss that. You've been too open and honest. Let's not worry about that. Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a while ago. What was the stadium like?
5: Well, the stadium was only... Um, only three stands were built. The fourth stand was actually being redesigned, I think. So that, that's the backstory to that goal. So we were traveling, we were playing there, and we got there the day before, trained at like 6 p.m. the night before, which was like standard fare for your tours around Europe, which is incredible looking back, by the way. And um, they had this big banner over the stand, basically, which had fans painted on. So they it half looked like there were people there. You know, you can picture it. I remember seeing it and saying, if I score in this stand, I'm going to celebrate in front of that stand. But me being who I am, it's clearly not going to happen because I'm not going to (laughs) score. But I ended up scoring in front of that end and celebrated in front of those fans. And looking back now, it's kind of disrespectful, but in the moment as a young man it felt fantastic and I don't know if I've told you this but I have scored in Europe yeah you're right yeah
4: yeah yeah. it is on YouTube by the way I found it last night so um, (laughs) go and and look it up it's uh, it's well worth a look Uh, right well we've raised 205 pounds so far on the charity bet this season we each get a 10 pound correct score single on City's games from William Hill the winnings are going to the Man City fans food bank support group they help the Trussell Trust collect food and money to support the Manchester Central food bank Uh, if you're at the game on Saturday then go and drop them a visit with a donation if you can they will be under the bridge by as between 12 30 and 2 30 p.m uh, so we will start with that game against Southampton Kieran what's your uh, what's your score prediction for this one
0: uh three 0 the city
4: three nil city is six to one and 60 quid if you're right uh I'm going next because I've gone for four one and that's uh 12 to one and 120 pounds if I'm right uh Nathan, what are you
5: having I've gone four two just an absolute shootout should be fun
4: Hope it is because that's 35 to 1 and 350 quid if you're right. Uh, that brings us on to Copenhagen. I've said 2 0, which is uh, 6 to 1 and 60 quid, Kieran. I've said 3 0 again. Uh, Also six to one and 60 quid, which probably shows uh, that the bookies don't really know what uh, what side City are going to put out for this one. (laughs) And Nadam?
5: I I went through one. I'm sorry about these goals City are theoretically conceding, but I'm just trying to be fair to the opposition. That's all. Mm. Hey,
4: it bumps the odds up. Ten to one and a hundred quid, if you're right. Uh, You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. For more information, take a look at begambleaware.org. And that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much to my guests for today's show, Kieran Murray. Cheers, Blue. And to uh, former city centre-back Nader Manua. Thank you very much. Join me again next week to look ahead to that trip to Anfield. See you then.
3: That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's.
5: It's very much the Andy Morrison game that one. It was
4: he, he'd sort of come out of nowhere as a as a centre half and to to sort the defence out. But I mean, what a ridiculous goal in so many ways. I mean, <laughs> who who, who plays headed one twos on the edge of the op- opponents? Um, Box. I was going to say the, com- the commentary doesn't do that justice because, like, <laughs> he, he says, plays a 1 2 with Gota, and you're thinking, oh, it would just be a little nick round the corner. No, the yeah. ball doesn't touch the ground. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't touch the ground. Heads it to Gota, Gota heads it back, and then he absolutely lumps it into the top corner from 25 yards. And everyone's thinking, who is this centre half? I mean, what, what, how's he gone under the radar for so long? Because this guy is absolutely genius. Well, the thing I do remember is your manager was Joe Royal, wasn't it, at yeah. this time? So obviously a man with whom is almost like, has
0: godlike presence at our place uh, and actually perversely may well be about to get involved in our club again, which will be uh, something of a coup. Um, I remember Royal saying after the game in the interview, something like, I'm glad we didn't embarrass them. (laughs) And and that cut more than the result. (laughs) Because it's like him saying them about us was was hurtful. Yeah. And I'm glad we didn't embarrass them. Like you know, like 3-0 wasn't embarrassing enough.
3: You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode.